Hello and welcome to another edition of Advancing the Profession, a podcast with me, Rob Jackson from Rob Jackson Consulting Limited. And in this issue, I want to be investigating the value of looking outside of the box for advanced learning. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit with other guests on this series, but I'm really enthusiastic about understanding how we can take learning from other fields away from volunteer management and apply it back into our work, leading and engaging volunteers to enhance what we do and give volunteers a greater experience. And there is no better person to talk to in doing that than my friend and colleague from the Bay Area in the US, Dana Litwin. And Dana was one of the last people that I was actually able to see in real life before the pandemic started when I was invited to be a guest on her YouTube channel, which we recorded in London in late January of 2020, where we waxed lyrical about what the future was going to hold, all of which was proven to be complete nonsense just about eight weeks later (laughs) as the pandemic hit in our respective countries and around the globe. So it's a real pleasure to have Dana with us today. Hello, Dana. And would you like to introduce yourself, please, so people can get a bit of a feel for who you are? Thank you, Rob. Uh, Pleasure to be here and to see you and hear you across the distance because the before times when we met in person in London does feel so, so far away. It's been less than a year and a half. My background and career has been not a straight path, not usually planned, usually highly improvised and somewhat spontaneous and kind of like many leaders of volunteers in this profession, kind of came into it sideways and then realized that this was a wonderful thing to do. So I grew up in Southern California in kind of a show business TV film family. And I did a bit of acting as a little, little kid, like a a baby through about eight years old. And then I got more interested in music and I was doing music and I was doing science and I was on kind of a, a veterinary or conservation path for most of my young years. And conservation kind of morphed into, ah, well, I I love being in nature. I love working with people. I love making connections of systems, like literal literal ecosystems are interesting to me. Mm. And that career career shifted a little bit. I, I had some kind of like back injuries and things where I couldn't be outside doing physical work anymore. But the gift was shifting into working at Project Open Hand around 2002, so almost 20 years ago. Uh, Again, just entry level, just volunteer coordinating. I've always kept up with music. And then in my uh, 20s, I also got back into acting a little bit and specifically some stand-up comedy. And then I discovered improv comedy through that in the Mm. kind of late... 90s-ish. So again, kind of the past 20-something-ish years of adult living has been an interesting combination of uh, very, very creative things in one aspect of my life and people who know me kind of as a musician or as a, a director or performer or even singer or music teacher over the years, producer. And then my growing career with volunteer engagement. And I've just absolutely fell in love with the challenge and the inspiration and I love interacting with people and working with teams and and figuring out systems so it's not a career path that I think anyone else could copy but it's (laughs) it's really rewarding and I'm really thrilled with where I am today and 
happy to be on the podcast and talk about careers and thinking outside the box and all this great creative stuff that we can bring to all of our work as yeah. uh, holistic humans. I mean, I remember back to the conversation I had recording with Tracy O'Neill for another episode in this season just a few days ago. And Tracy was saying how one of the great things about our field, our profession, is people come from such diverse backgrounds. And it gives us, you know, we've we've spoken to Jerome on the podcast, who comes from a, you know, originally from a military intelligence background. I come from a, a university dropout background, having only managed two years of a physics degree. You're coming from kind of environmental stuff, stand-up comedy and music. You know, that's what makes this such a great field, really, that we have all of these different perspectives coming into it, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm really interested to know from you your thoughts on how the things that you've been involved in, like improv comedy like acting, like the the musical stuff that you've done, can help volunteer managers in their work. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you for two things in particular that, that kind of made me think that Dana's the person that I want to talk to about these kinds of things. One was reading the fantastic book from Second City called Yes And, which was all about improv comedy. And I, I think we possibly engaged on social media about it as well and mm-hmm. saying how cool it was. But also, and this is a, a fact that people outside of Points of Light conference attendees won't necessarily know. But Dana is about the only volunteer management consultant globally who has conducted one of her workshops entirely in song form. Correct. (laughs) This is is a true fact. This is not an exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. This is is not a lie. True, that was Points of Light a few years ago that was in St. Paul. So what was that, Twenty, gosh, 2019, I think. Yeah, probably, yeah, I was at again, that one as well, yeah. Again, the before times all blur together. And I I can sing. I've, I've been a professional singer. I've been a voice teacher. My college degree, such as I barely finished it, is in fact in jazz studies and, and music and brass instruments okay. and voice. So that's my original training and, and growing up playing music in my family. And it was out of necessity. So you know, one must know one's material quite well to present mm-hmm. <laughs> anything. And when you've created your own material, like you and I have, we, we know it backwards and forwards. And it came down to, I was in a big hall, I think it was about a 200-ish, two or 300 person room. So I was, I microphone, so that wasn't the issue. But the issue was that there was a bigger hall next to us that was doing like a hip hop youth celebration that was incredibly right. loud, <laughs> incredibly loud, uh, booming bass through the wall. My audience was distracted and rightfully so. And I was a little distracted. And the thing that I've learned from improv and, and stand up and just music performing is really just to go with that moment and not fight it and not pretend it's happening, but you know, to always incorporate whatever's happening in your situation, in your environment, into how you're doing that show, that presentation. Sure. And it was, you know, it's got a beat and I could dance to it. So I just started to sing to that music because we couldn't quite hear the lyrics, but we could hear we could hear the beats and the bass notes and a few things. Occasional heavy metal guitar was coming through the wall. It was it was pretty fantastic. Nice. And yeah, so I, I basically did, it was it was a 90 minute slot. I had the, the longer presentation and I did an 80 minute operetta. I sang the entire time. <laughs> uh, lavaliers are not designed for that kind of no. <laughs> experience. 
So I, I had to temper my usual projection for a large room for a mic that was very, very close, uh, pinned very close to me. And I hopped on tables and no one told me not to. And I, that was how I adjusted to engage the audience. And it has become legendary. I'm not tuning yeah. my own horn. I Years later, I get calls from people who were in that room about, I saw you sing this thing and we, our agency would like to consult. And that stuck with me, you know, so much um, among the things that I got at that conference that I just think you're the one to do this. So it's gotten me work, not American Idol or <laughs> America's Got Talent work or, you know, touring with Pat Benatar or anybody work, but it's gotten me other work. And that's, that's part of the point is not to just inspire people and have them learn something from whatever yeah. session you're doing, but also like you're, you stayed as a positive memory and as a great way of learning uh, in yeah. people's, in people's minds. And, and then I went and did karaoke later that night. So like the next day I had no voice cause I had hours and hours of singing <laughs> with people. Two things really, really strike me about the idea of a sung workshop, and I've always thought this is, is one with the kind of reserved attitude that you get from British audiences. I'd love to see it try and work in a UK. I mean, I would volunteer, but I suspect I'm the kind of person that's brought in five minutes before the end to sing in order to empty the room. But the other one is that you were jumping around on tables and there wasn't a collective inward gasp of air by 200 volunteer managers all whipping out a risk assessment and a health and safety form. <laughs> <laughs> they were not. No, then that's the thing. Nobody told me not to. And that's kind of, that's kind of a rule is, you know, as long as you're not harming anyone, you know, you want to yeah. have, and then that situation, again, I was competing with something that was incredibly high energy, you know, yeah. a, a youth chorus, a local group from Minneapolis, St. Paul, was you know singing and dancing and and carrying on next door and that was a great energy to feed what was what we were doing so again kind of taking a, everything that's happening in your situation and rather than like oh this isn't how I planned it that's a, like a such a bad British accent I apologize for that <laughs> but but you know but also reading the room and I the room was there to see me and my reputation is that it's going to be, it's not going to be a dry, boring show. Like whatever yeah, I'm yeah. talking about. You've got to entertain, haven't you? It's going to be interactive. I want people to say things to move, may possibly move around such as they are able in their seats. I just didn't plan for it to be an operetta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a really big believer that, you know, people get a much better learning experience out of something like that. If there's an element of entertainment, if they have fun, if they enjoy mm -hmm. it, if they get something like that from it, then they're gonna that's gonna stick with them. As you say, people have remembered that workshop and they've remembered the content of the workshop as a result. That's that's fantastic. So other than using those background skills to deliver the kind of workshops that people remember and have never seen before in volunteer management, I suppose like, let's hone in a little bit on the improv stuff because sure. we've both been, I think, probably one of the first times we met. I think you were at the same conference I was at, also in St. Mm -hmm. Paul, Minnesota, where they had the improv group that was doing the kind of plenary sessions at conferences. And I know we've spoken about kind yes. of improv. So talk to me a little bit about how, A, what the principles are, you know, the kind of yes and and all of these principles mm -hmm. that sit behind improv, but why you think they're relevant things that people like volunteer managers could learn from and use and apply in their work. Yes, and to all of that, Rob, uh, that, that's the corporate, I mean, Second City, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, the Groundlings are the, are the big ones in the States, and Second City actually started in 
Toronto, Canada, and Chicago, and it kind of shares that and that geography. It's really about, it's called not blocking ideas. And I think that's very important to our profession. So the core of yes and doesn't mean you have no boundaries. It doesn't mean you agree to anything at any time, which is our other very common issue that I've seen come up, come up, come up that like you have to wear, you have to do too many things. You're expected to do too much for too little with too few resources. But yes anding is, there's a a way of thinking about it's layering ideas, it's adding to ideas. And in an improv scene, you're really listening and reacting. And that's another skill I think is important anywhere in life. And improv Mm. skills have definitely helped me communicate and build relationships and build on ideas and be creative in lots of ways. But the core thing of yes and in improv is if you have a simple idea, we're not trying to make that idea more complicated. We're trying to actually dig deeper into that idea and expand on it from its original offer. And that's something Mm -hmm. that's an improv. It's called an offer in a scene. You and I are in scene together and you say, you know, Tina, I'm so glad it's your birthday today. Great. That's an offer. That's an Mm -hmm. idea that we can build on. Yes, ending is saying, thank you so much, Rob. I love that our birthdays are a week apart. We're not straying from the original idea, but we're adding more details and we're listening to each other. It's like, yes, and we can eat cake all week. Wherever that idea takes us, the opposite of that, and you actually see this on, sometimes you even see this on TV shows about improv, like like old episodes of, of Who's Line, uh, which started in Britain and is in the States now, mm. where someone comes in and they have their own ideas. So the thing with improv is to not be so attached to your own ideas, but to be open to other people's ideas, to build on each other's ideas, and to really have that active listening and use a sense of collaboration of, of building an idea together rather than coming in like uh, it's called bulldozing in improv it's called steamrolling okay. or bulldozing depending on your your country <laughs> country of origin and it would be oh uh, you come in Dana I'm so glad it's your birthday today uh, bulldozing or blocking or steamrolling would be like it's not my birthday it's the Queen's Christmas message and we're all going to sit around the radio and listen to it quietly and then nothing yeah. happens for five for five minutes and so that just that idea of yes you have strong offers you have strong ideas you have reasons that you want to do those things and you're open to how those are are impacted adjusted and built upon by other people and i, I think that's the core skill from a theater improv that has really informed my work and how I work with people, how I do projects for clients, how Mm -hmm. I create presentations. And I also came from, because I came from a a classical and jazz musical training background, the kind of improv that's done in music Mm -hmm. is related to, it's literally related to the same areas of the brain, but very different from theater improv. So I, I think I had some, I had some brain areas or muscle memory from musical improv that helps you ah i'm building on an idea i'm having some of my ideas and i'm adding to other people's ideas and they're adding to my ideas and kind of taking that to a verbal place and a human relationship place instead of only a creative musical place uh, i think is kind of bridging that gap and i'm there aren't a lot of people who are musical 
are, are who are musicians and doing musical improv who then go into theater improv. It's a, it's a small group, and I, I know most of them in the States. And, and it's a really interesting to watch that development, and it's been extremely valuable for me to incorporate those ideas of co-creating and creating something beautiful with other people and not only my ideas and my ego all the time. Right. And as you say, it's, I think what you said really early on in there, it's important to recognize that that's always part of a framework. It doesn't mean kind of anything's allowed. So there's a bit like musical improv where it's, you know, you've still got to stay within a particular framework, but you build an idea in that. How could leaders of volunteer engagement apply those principles in the work? So how, how, how might, for example, let me give you a couple of scenarios that people may be dealing with on a regular basis. So difficult conversations with volunteers and or influencing, you know, other managers, peers, uh, middle managers, senior management within the organization. So how how might those kind of yes and principles play out for a volunteer manager if they were applying it in that kind of way? The easiest way to think about it is kind of in managing up and being persuasive uh, is another way to, to talk about it in the more the business world is you're helping people realize their ideas alongside your ideas right or you're planting a seed that maybe they think it is their idea later and it can be a little bit of a of a Jedi mind trick to talk about. I know you're more Star Trek than Star Wars, but bear These with me. Are the volunteers you're looking for? <laughs> These are the volunteers you're looking for. Um, where it's you know it's not an evil advertisement manipulation, but there's a way of talking to people in that co-creating positive yes anding way that offers solutions and offers new ideas. So speaking of the thinking outside of the box. And so if you come to someone who is, they're creating conflict, they're creating mm. drama, they're not going along with the team, there's a there's always a reason why. Yeah. You may not agree with the reason why. It may not be the way that you would handle whatever thing they think they're handling by acting that way, but there's always a reason. So having that, that curiosity, and you're not yes-anding their bad behavior, but really honestly actively listening to why are they acting this way and sometimes mm -hmm. it is their ego sometimes it's a deep personality flaw sometimes it's uh, stressors or you know mental or physical health issues that are making people's fuses very short you just never know until you ask uh, and then there's different ways to handle that and that's in my kind of hold em or fold em workshop yes. you know everyone's very complicated and there's like six archetypes of bad behavior in situations that are caused by a, a few different personality quirks, frustrations, communication style differences, you know, kind of oil and water personality types. And it's really understanding who you're talking to and what they want. And that's something that absolutely comes from improv because you need to really listen to each other in a scene, in a pretend fun thing. Uh, to make something resonate emotionally. People doesn't always have to be funny, but it should emotionally resonate. So it kind of helps get you on the same wavelength as the person that you're talking to or learning about why they're creating this behavior, this conflict. And that doesn't mean that you keep every volunteer or everything is solved by deep conversation. It could be that you're like, oh, you're a flake. 
and you're definitely not going to work out here. And I've learned that in 30 seconds of conversation with you. So you are dismissed. <laughs> like it can yeah. be that simple, yeah. but it, it takes a little bit of curiosity and not just coming in with assumptions that you think you know why this person is behaving badly. But also another fun phrase of mine is jerk is not a protected class. Yeah. <laughs> more and more jerks think that they are a protected class. Uh, they are not. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just get to be randomly awful to people yes. and, yeah. and not have consequences in your work, whether it's paid or unpaid. Managing up is similar in that you need to know your audience. Who are you talking to? What kind of information persuades them? So the two easiest categories that I can think about, again, there's more complexity to it, is is someone more analytical and they're, they care about numbers and data and case studies and facts and that's what convinces them. Great, that's your approach. Whether or not that's your comfort zone, different conversation, but if you know, know your audience, know who you're talking to and their learning style and their communication style, that gives you that advantage. Um, other people want storytelling or an emotional connection or a narrative or a personal example that they can relate to. That's a different conversation. And I have, I have a, a client organization right now that is a municipal organization, a city organization, and a nonprofit that have to work together towards the same mission. Right. And the person who runs the city side is very analytical, is very straight up facts, data, graphs, show me the numbers. And the person who runs the nonprofit side is like, will spin into a story about a donor thing 10 years ago and, and spin that story for 10 minutes. And how they work together at all just for all this time has amazed me because they're completely opposite communication styles. Uh, and advocating for yourself, it's as much knowing the, the real value in dollars and cents as it were, and the value socially and emotionally into the mission impact of the work. It's knowing the value of your own work and then knowing how to communicate that to different audiences, whether that's an audience of one or mm -hmm. a board or the rest of a team or the community itself. Brilliant. And I, I think that whole thing about adding value, I, I've done it. I'm sure lots of us have done it in the past where we kind of get our moment before the senior management team or the board or whoever else and we go hell for leather with all of the information that we've got about volunteers and volunteering and how brilliant it is within our organization and all of this kind of stuff without really understanding what their priorities are you know they must right. may just have had an agenda item about how the budget's crashing for the next six months and they need to do something about it so coming at that conversation from a a different angle of understanding and then how volunteering can add the kind of yes and how we can add to the solutions of those things is um yeah as you say it requires us a, a different skill set than being able to wield a powerpoint presentation with lots of whizzy charts on the effectiveness of volunteers within the organization doesn't it it does and the thing that's most challenging is when you have that mixed audience because there's always some of each yeah. type <laughs> in there and how do you find that balance so there's just enough numbers and graphs to persuade the people who need information in that way to be to have their minds changed change hearts and minds and there's just enough emotional connection and story and it really is it's an art and it's a craft and if there is a way for leaders of volunteers whether they're introverts or extroverts really doesn't matter if there's a way to do any kind of 
improv, a little comedy workshop, a little theater acting workshop, all of that is so important to not only your verbal communication skills or this thought process of how do I connect with my audience, no matter what size that audience is, but I think the skills that are missing and that I sometimes teach is a physical stage presence, is a stagecraft of your body language, your tone of voice, the pace at which you're speaking. Mm -hmm. So there are public speaking aspects, there's stagecraft and physical presentation, what you're wearing, how you're standing, how you're gesturing. All of those are incredibly important to how persuasive you are. And again, there's a lot of, you know, can get into the the slimy underbelly of the multi-level marketing where it's like, sell anything. It's like, we don't want to quite go that cynical or, or that far. But we also know that 90% of our first impression or communication is nonverbal. Yeah. So even if we're having to Zoom and do things more remotely, there are ways to, quote unquote, frame the camera, be more engaging in a challenging medium like this is. I know you and I really prefer in-person workshops. Yeah. Really prefer in-person. Strongly prefer, but we've, you know, I was already adapted to do a lot of stuff online and, and you've adapted really well. And so it's getting out of our own comfort zones yeah. in the last year and learning, well, how do we adapt to this medium? This is This takes slightly different skills to effectively persuade and communicate and teach and listen and be curious over a Zoom or a WebEx or a Google Hangout or a Skype than it does in a room full of people where, you know, your natural charm can just net overwhelm them. And maybe your Old Spice cologne, who knows? <laughs> I'm not saying Rob smells like Old Spice. I'm just <laughs> remember from the before times that it, it was like, oh, Rob, Rob smells very pleasant. 1970s brute all the way for me. Yes, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah by Fabergé. Chanel number five. <laughs> Dracar well, Noir. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. You know, sponsorship of workshops by uh, perfume houses. I, 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 it's funny you say that, though, because I always find, you know, people that make perfumes and aftershaves and colognes and all of those kind of things, the way that they seem to try and convince us to buy these things, particularly in the run up to the Christmas holidays every year, is by putting the most bizarre adverts on mm -hmm. that you just go, how does that actually sell anything? We, we always know Christmas is coming when the first really crazy like Chanel ad comes on in mid-October or something, mid-November, yeah. and it's just bizarre, very bizarre. Yeah. Um, something bananas is happening on screen and you have no idea what the product is or what they're even trying to communicate in the last five seconds. It's it's Chanel, yeah. Swiss Neve, Chanel, Swiss Neve. You're like, oh, okay, I guess it was perfume. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there about whether people are introvert or extrovert. I, I think I'm I'm quite extrovert and the idea of doing stand-up fills me with complete dread. And and obviously for a lot of people, we've we've not been able to do that in the last year or so because a lot of these places haven't been open. We've not been able to go and do that. Where would you suggest if people are interested in this? Because I hope from talking to you, it's given people a bit of a, a taster for an area well outside of the volunteer management sphere that they might want to look into. Where can they find out some more information? Where could they, you know, are there YouTube videos, YouTube channels? Are there particular books and resources that you would suggest people go check out? Are there podcasts? There, there's a lot of that stuff, but to, to keep it narrowed down, 
improv itself has, and theater itself has shifted to this online medium. And I've done a number of online improv shows, including musical improv, which is very challenged with the technology and, wow. and lag time and things, but there's ways to make it work. And each area is different. Uh, UK listeners and Australia listeners, pretty much if you, if you search for, if you use an, a search engine, for example, Ask Jeeves. If you ask Jeeves <laughs> uh, or Google or DuckDuckGo or, um, or, you know, improv in your local area or online improv, there's a lot that is occurring. Some of the common, uh, in English speaking com countries, some of the, the common franchises are theater sports. So example, okay. Bay Area theater sports, London theater sports. There's a lot of indie groups, but if you do, if you, search for improv theater you're going to find a ton of right now online classes which are great drop in jams for beginners and the good thing is you know other than time zones what's opened up in the last year for these things is it's not just hyper local anymore it's not just yeah. what can i do in san francisco or london or or melbourne uh, or vancouver british columbia it's you know, I've improvised with people around the world without having to have the expense of traveling there. Uh, so there's there's going to be something for you, and you can, if it's something that is a theater sports or Second City related, I know usually Second City is more Canada, North America. Those are kind of pretty reliable brands or the big kids in improv, but your local black box theater group which means like you know seats 100 or less people the that's the bread and butter in the uk also anything that's come through the edinburgh festival is yep. going to be a pretty strong troupe there's a lot of them and it's important to distinguish that it's fun it's fun to try stand up it's fun to try sketch comedy and improv is going to give you the best combination of all of those skills if you want to do that and it can be terrifying i absolutely recognize that public speaking or being on stage or especially doing stand-up in your own scripted material or thinking like oh i have to come up with something on stage for improv you actually don't again it, you're just listening you're listening yeah. and you're building on ideas you never have to be the first one with the first idea and it works a lot better if you approach this just with a, an empty brain an empty mind and an open heart <laughs> it's going to be is going to be your best bet and i i, I can recommend for those that I may be really nervous about jumping into a class. There was a brilliant book, which is literally called Yes And, mm -hmm. from some of the people behind Second City, which I got on Amazon UK. Other booksellers are available uh, just secondhand last year. And I, it was really interesting to me just to begin to open up some of those those kinds of ideas and concepts and do that that kind of inductive learning of taking something from there and applying it into, into our field as well. How can people find out about you dana how can people get in touch how can people find out more about you and the work that you do and hopefully we can get you to the uk to sing a 90-minute workshop for a volunteer management conference over here i'll have a word with the guys at the association of volunteer managers but how, how can they connect with you well my main website is danalitwinconsulting.com or just danalitwin.com that's pretty easy. You can find me on the LinkedIn's and the Facebook and the, and the tweeters uh, under that moniker. And then my YouTube channel that you've been on and, a lot yeah. of, and Jerome and a bunch of other folks that we've uh, already talked about today. 
is Dana's Priceless Advice for Leaders of Volunteers. So if you search for that on the YouTubes, that is always free videos, interviews, Tuesday tips uh, come out weekly on Tuesdays. Oddly enough, that's just a really great coincidence that it worked out that way. And about monthly or so, typically monthly, there's a new uh, full interview. And again, the interview, it might be 30 minutes, it might be 45 minutes, but attention spans being what they are, I try not to, even if I'm having a great conversation with someone awesome, I, Aaron Spink and I, that'll be, this will be the May, when this comes out, it'll be after May, but uh, Aaron's priceless advice will have come out by the time this is published. And, you know, we talked as friends for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I had the unenviable task of editing out all of our giggles and tangents and weird ideas that just spun off into outer space and like, okay, here's a good coherent 45 minute <laughs> chat. That's with why Aaron. conversations with Aaron are so much fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's like, there's a lot of giggling. We're going to have to edit out of this because we like giggling, but the audience may not take it for 10 minutes. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much, Dana, for um, giving us some of your time today to be on the podcast and to support what hopefully will be the first and of many series of the podcast, not the first and only series of the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and to to see you and connect with you again after so many months of us not being able to connect because of everything that's been going on around the world. And um, if you do go and have a look at Dana's Priceless Advice, if you go back to about February 2020, you can see the interview, uh, the conversation really that Dana and I had, and you can see how we got everything so wrong because we didn't know COVID-19 was coming down the rails. <laughs> But hopefully we, as you said, one of the great things about what's happened over the last year is it's so much easier now for us to have people from all over the world access conferences. I know there's people from, from all over the world at the Texas Volunteer Management Conference that we're both going to be at in a couple of days' time. And so I hope as a consequence of that, we will get to see you virtually or in person in more events here and look forward to the day when we can get back together in a in a workshop room somewhere in the world in person and and see each other and reconnect that way as well. So thank you so much for your time today, Dan. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. And everyone, I'll see you out there at some point, hopefully in person soon. Mm -hmm.